Welcome to the Unexpected Leader Podcast. You're listening to Season 2. This season, we've chosen to have conversations with our younger leaders about their unexpected journeys in ministry. We're excited to share with you their stories of how God has called and used them in the lives of the people they walk with. The world that is so natural to them seems so far removed from the one in which I started out in. Their wisdom and experience is so helpful for our families of churches, and by sharing their stories, we can all move toward being better leaders and followers of Jesus in this moment in time, whether we ourselves are new to the journey or have been on it for a while. Thanks for listening in. Today, I'm joined with Lois Mitchell. Lois, it's good to have you uh, along today. Great to be back. Lois and I are joined today with Adams Townsend. Adams, it's really good to have you with us today. Awesome. I'm super excited to be here. Adams, just off the top, uh, give us a sketch of where you're in ministry right now. And I understand that this is a new position Mm. uh, for you. You've just started in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. So I'm currently at Louisville Baptist Church. It's a new role for me. It's also a new role for the church. They've never had this position before, Um, but I'm going to be their pastor of community or community pastor. And basically it's kind of this idea of, you know, making better connections of community within the church, but then also taking that beyond the church walls to have a better impact in our community. That's awesome. <clears throat> That's It's interesting to hear of this kind of new role. And is there any connection between that and our emphasis on joining God in the neighborhood? Is that oh, kind of an outgrowth sure. of that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we see what convention's doing and we're thinking to ourselves, we want to take part in that. And this is a way that we as a community can do that. And so it's a whole new, fresh thought for us. And uh, it's sort of like a way of us saying, hey, we know we need to do this. This is the future of where the church needs to go. So... That's fascinating. Going back to high school, uh, was ministry on your radar? Talk to me about that. Was this on your radar as you were planning your high school course selection or maybe thinking about university that this was uh, where you would see yourself? Man, when I was in high school, this was not on my track at all. I just really, it just didn't seem like an option for me. It wasn't something I was necessarily interested in. I was, however, interested in camp ministry when I was in high school, but I didn't know that that could actually be a viable option. And it wasn't until a few years later, just from different influence from other leaders around uh, the Maritimes, that I went, oh, okay, this could be something. So talk a little bit about that switch to seeing it as Mm. a vocational option for you. What was going on at the time that God kind of started to move you in that direction? Yeah, I mean, like, so I served at Kingswood Camp in the Valley for a few years. I had grown up going to Malagash Bible Camp, uh, which is like on the other side of the province. And then it wasn't until my Crandall days, at then it was ABU, um, and I was approached by some friends who said, hey, like, you should check out this place called Camp Wildwood. And then I checked out camp, and and Wildwood, for my experience, was... N- it was just, I had never experienced a camp like that. And then also to work alongside Jeff Brace, who's the director there at Camp Wildwood. He might be in his 30th year, 31st year as a director, full-time director. And me as a young man, loving camp ministry, but then seeing, oh my God, you've been doing this for 20 plus years at the time and now like 30 plus years. It was just eye-opening for me. I went, wait a moment. And it was sort of like God was sort of tapping me on the shoulder saying, there could be more here. There could be more here. And it's funny, right? Because I was at ABU in my first year as a history uh, student. 
And, you know, I loved history. I quickly learned I wasn't good at writing history. <laughs> I, was too, I was too focused on wanting to put my opinion on everything. Um, so I switched to a communications degree, which changed everything. But then I, I really felt like that was helping me in that role in camp ministry. And all of a sudden it was like doors were kind of opening more and more within the camp world. So that's kind of where I was at. And, and I've always kind of had this thought of, you know, if God opens a door, you may not realize that it's God at the time, but I've always been interested to peek through the door. And then the next thing you know, you might start walking through the door. And then as you look back, you might start realizing, oh my goodness, God was in this the whole time. And so that was kind of what was going on in my early, that would have been my early 20s, this sort of, oh, this is interesting, which is funny because maybe some people don't even know that I have that camp background because it seems, seems so long ago now. So when you think about that, who were some of the influencers on your mm. journey? I mean, obviously, uh, Jeff Brace. Was yeah, one so of Jeff them, Brace was a big influence. Funny enough now, for the context of those listening, Jeff is now actually my father-in-law. But uh, yeah, so he really just sort of set me up for success. All of a sudden, the next thing I knew, I was a young man, and he wanted me to become the assistant director and work under him. And he saw that I really had a passion for the kids who worked at camp. And it wasn't that I didn't have a passion for the kids who attended camp, but there was always this old line that people used to say, oh, a week at camp is like a year in Sunday school for a child. Now, I wanted to take that a step further and go, well, if a week is so impactful on a child's life, what is two to three months for a young adult. And that was all of a sudden this eye-opening thing for me. And, and there was Jeff, he set that stage for me and he said, okay, run with it, go with it. And he said, if you wanna run with the staff, if you wanna implement into their lives, and so that's what I kind of did, yeah. So, Je so Jeff Brace, um, and I also, I, I gotta mention Rachel O'Brien too. So she was one of the um, camp board people as well. And she just really poured into me and really just poured into things that I had never thought about before. Like she introduced the idea of studying leadership. And hilariously enough, I'd like never heard of that before. What do you, what do you mean you can study leadership? So yeah, Jeff Brace, Rachel O'Brien would have been really early, early adopters into developing my leadership skill. Yeah. So Adams, how long were you in that camp ministry mindset? Yeah, camp ministry, well, if you go all the way back to the high school days, it would have been about eight years. So like grade 12 and then straight through Crandall. I did the camp ministry thing and then I left to go tree planting for a couple of years because any young man needs to do some silly things in their life. And then I came back and that's when Jeff really said, okay, if you're going to come back, then we want you in this bigger role. And was it the transition away from that into more church-based ministry? Was that a tough decision to make? Yeah, so that's, that's where everything changed. Um, so it would have been my last summer, which would have been 2014 at Camp Wildwood. And I get a phone call from uh, Pastor Jerry Reddy, who would be the uh, senior pastor over at Hillside Baptist in Moncton, New Brunswick. And then Pastor Dave Steves, who's the associate pastor at the same church. And um, all of a sudden they, they said, hey, we want to go to coffee with you. Well, why do you want to go to coffee with me? Like I'm a camp guy. And so it was just through conversations with them. And they were at the time pitching this idea of a youth pastor position because Hillside at the time was in need of a new youth pastor. I grew up going to Wolf Hill Baptist in Wolf Hill, Nova Scotia. And I had uh, Scott Barnes as my first youth pastor. And then I had Craig Hebert as my second youth pastor. 
we're talking a youth group of like 12, 14, 16 kids at most. And I loved it. Oh, like that was, that was my time. So when I thought of youth ministry, that's what I thought of. And here I've got this bigger church in a bigger city who was pitching this idea of a youth ministry. And it's like, oh yeah, you know, so 120 kids and you have a leadership team of 10 to 15 volunteers. And my eyes are just bulging out. Like I'm not the guy. (laughs) But it was interesting because it was through those conversations that they realized, and this is kind of the funny twist, they didn't want me as their youth pastor, which is okay. We can laugh about that now, but they wanted me for something different. They saw that passion I had for young adults working at camp, and they said, that's a need in our church that we haven't really connected well with young adults. And for us, that context was aged 18 to 29, which is a crazy huge context. They, They flat out said, we don't really know what this looks like but we, we have a feeling we think you're the person to do it. And in hindsight, I'm like, that, that was once again, God opening one of those doors and I didn't necessarily know what I was walking into. And then that changed everything. And it sounds like your new position is a little bit the same. There's not a, you know, sort of firm job description or. Yeah, that is, I'll tell you, if anything, throughout this conversation, you'll quickly realize with my journey, it's been a lot of open doors to things that didn't exist before within the context of that congregation or that camp or that church, which with my personality, I love, gives me that fresh slate, but it comes with its challenges as well. So when you think of that piece to your journey about looking through the door before you're stepping in and mm. running through it, who's been the influencer? Who has given you the greatest space to formalize that in your journey, to be comfortable with that, that it doesn't have to be rock solid before you move into yeah. it? You know, funny enough, I think we sometimes forget how big of an influence those youth pastors from when we're younger how much their words and the way they presented themselves. So I think back to when I was in grade seven, grade eight, and I've got Scott Barnes there, who I think now is actually, funny enough, the senior pastor at Wolfville Baptist, so things kind of turn around. But yeah, I think back to just the way Scott presented the way of relationship with Christ and giving over that trust. And at an early age, yeah, it really left an impacting kind of memory on me that'd be like, no, no, I've got to... At the end of the day, this is putting the trust in Christ and so moving through with that. So when I when I think of that question, it's like, oh yeah, like Scott had such an impact on my life, early life, which really developed years later. Probably at the time I didn't realize it. For you, that's been significant because that does come out in mm-hmm. your story as you talk. How has that moved or translated into how you work with young adults? Mm, it's interesting. I mean, working with young adults brings its own kettle of fish. <laughs> As I said, for us, it was at, at Hillside, it was between the ages of 18 and 29, which is just this huge wild context and very different chapters within different people's lives. But for me, I, I guess I just had to model that same sort of thing that Scott modeled for me it was just like, you know, we come to the scriptures, we, we come to it with fresh eyes, but we also just have to let go in a certain way and just to say, you know, God, you've got this and I don't necessarily know what that looks like, but at the end of the day, I've, I've got to put that trust in you, which is a hard thing to do. I mean, it's very hard. And when you talk about the culture we live in right now with everything sometimes being up and down and, and young people not knowing, 
you know, they want firm concrete. And yet sometimes you're introducing them to like, hey, this is more of a journey and it's more of a slow walk in the same direction for a long time, which I think that's, that might be a Eugene Peterson quote, but it is. Yeah. Yeah. It was just sort of those practices. And um, many of the young adults I used to work with, I found came from backgrounds where they weren't introduced to that idea of just slowing down, being introduced to the spiritual practices or the ways of Christ. And it was just always go, 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 go. And for them, I was like, hey, why don't we just learn to breathe? Why don't we learn to slowly read scripture together? Why don't we learn to pray and just be open with it? Which is hard for some, you know, it's still hard for me. And it requires a a deep belief and trust in the Mm. Holy Spirit and and an understanding wise counsel around you to help to discern what the Spirit's inviting you to and what the Spirit's not inviting you to and and having that confidence that I can step through this door and that God through his word and through his spirit and through his people will reveal that as I go through it. I had a young adult once who was so nervous that he had this amazing opportunity on his doorstep to go work at this church in BC. He said, Adams, like, what if, what if God doesn't want me to do it? And I went, what if he does? <laughs> and he went, well, I guess I'd never thought about it like that. He just kept on thinking, what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't? It's like, well, what if you just change your mind? What if he does? And what if at the same time he goes, maybe it wasn't in the original plan, but guess what? God's still going to work with us. Adams, I'm thinking about your your new position, and mm. um, you, you had said it's both within the congregation, building community, and then going out more into the neighborhood. Yeah. Can can you kind of? I'm sure you've been think, wrestling with this, thinking about it, but can you define a little bit the outside the church community that you're going to be hoping to engage? Yeah, for sure. I mean, one of the things that Louisville has had for a few years now is this thing that they call Lewis Villages. And it's something that they're passionate about, but they really want someone who can really own it. And what it is, is an idea of like looking at our city and like sort of zoning off sections of the city so that people can have a better understanding of their actual neighbors. And so I'm sure this is a normal thing. Well, maybe maybe it's not a normal thing, but you think of when someone maybe dies in the congregation and you might have like a, uh, a group of volunteers who then start to maybe cook meals or something for that specific family. And that's a very cool way of like internally building support and community. But I'm also thinking, what does it look like when someone dies in our community as in outside of our church walls who might not be connected with the church? And then all of a sudden meals start showing up at their house. But this is where I think it's important. It's not like, where are these meals coming from? Like, is it, oh, it's from that weird church, like on the other side of the city. No, 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 no. It's from people who actually live down the street from you. It's from your actual neighbors. How can we build community within our walls so we're, we're supporting each other? But how can we also start to realize, hey, we need to actually talk to our neighbors. We need to actually interact with them. It's sort of a haunting question, I think, that is both personal and one that the church can ask. Is The personal one is, you know, if I were to leave my neighborhood, would anyone even notice? And so that's a personal one. But then the haunt, the the bigger one, the more like 30,000 foot question is, if your church were to leave your neighborhood, would anyone notice? And so that I think with us in our our current culture and our current context at Louisville, we're really starting to ask those questions. 
And we want to be that positive influence on our community and a positive influence on our congregation to interact with their community. Um, so that's just one aspect. But. And you had mentioned earlier about uh, the, the long walk in a certain direction. And it almost seems that some of that language is very consistent with what the general cultural, you know, like we're talking more about mindfulness and, and you know, like slowing down, you know, cooking, actually cooking, not, not fast food, but slow food, all that. So do you anticipate or do you have you any experience in seeing ways that those themes, slowing down, mindfulness, will give you opportunities to connect with people? Or is, you know, I, I guess some of my own sense is that there is still a bit of resistance to conventional kind of church mm-hmm. um, to bridge the gap between where people are and desiring a slower, more meaningful life mm-hmm. and what the church has to offer. Do you see ways of bridging that through this new ministry role that you have? Yeah, I mean, I think what you brought up there, the idea of like in our cultural moment right now, this idea of that people are wanting to slow down. People actually want to cook and rather than go to McDonald's or something, right? And I think we as the church need to realize, hey, this is a perfect opportunity to sort of invite people into something that's going to be that long journey. The hard thing, though, is that I think for many of us, we still have the McDonald's or the Starbucks mentality in, you know, like we got to make this cookie cutter thing and make everything move really, really quick and really, really fast paced. This is actually a long game. It can be awkward if, you know, when you're speaking to your neighbors, actually talk to them, actually get to know them. Because if if the first thing that you're interacting with them is just this like, hey, I want to get you to church then there's going to be walls kind of set up because they're, they're nervous about that. We live in this weird culture, right? Where it's like, oh no, I like, don't talk to me about that. So don't talk to them about that, which I know sounds like a crazy thing, but I, I think we need to give people permission to just be like, hey, just interact with them. And you know what? You'll realize that through life, through relationships, through things that happen on a day-to-day basis, it's going to come up and it's going to come up in a more positive way. It's going to come up in a more authentic way. And then who knows, maybe your neighbors, maybe they'll start going, there's something a little different about that person. Well, I think in some ways the the script is is going to be written. You know, like mm. we, as we figure out ways to engage authentically, there is a, you know, maybe there is some residue to overcome. And, and maybe for some people, we're already far enough into the post-Christian time that, yeah. you know, there there will be more openness. Yeah, there was a Barna a research thing done a little while ago on millennials and their view of the word evangelism. And it was like, that was eye-opening, where all of a sudden, um, it, basically the research was saying that many millennials were very uncomfortable with the word evangelism because of what they felt it meant. And if if what they think it means is just handing out a track or just not actually having a real conversation, if, if just jumping straight to it could make them a little uncomfortable. It's, it's an interesting age we live in, but I really think people are becoming a little more open to it. You know, the pendulum has swung sort of one way for a really long time, and now I think we're starting to see it swing the other way. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think the millennial generation, which has occupied a lot of our attention now, mm. we also have to be thinking about Gen Z. You oh, know, my the, goodness, the, yes. Which, from what I understand and from what I see, there are pretty significant differences between millennials and Gen Zs. Yeah, well, I mean, the the joke I typically make with people in regard to the millennial generation, they keep saying, oh, the millennial generation, the next generation. I go, no, 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 no. They're the generation right now. 
Gen Z is, is the one that's coming. If you haven't thought about millennials, then you're too late. One of the questions that we've been asking uh, around the journey of our leaders uh, in Atlantic Canada, in particular in the Canadian Baptists of Atlantic Canada, would be what are some of the unexpected pieces that you've come across, either positive or negative, that you kind of go, well, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. Yeah. So as I as I mentioned earlier, that this idea of me coming into a role. So when I started at Hillside Baptist, the role never existed before. And so that excited me because I was like, oh, like I, I have I have nobody's shoes that I'm stepping into. It's a brand new thing. I didn't expect how potentially lonely that could be. You know, I remember um, sitting with um, a man by the name of Marv Penner, who many know in Canada as, as um, a, f- a fighter for youth ministry and a teacher for youth ministry. And I was sitting with him and he sort of chuckled with me and he said, it's kind of being a young adult pastor in this age right now is kind of like being a youth pastor back in like the sixties or the seventies when it, churches were still figuring it out. Like, what does that even look like? What's a youth pastor look like? And I worked at Hillside for five years and still many people will be like, Oh, how are the youth? <laughs> and it's like, I don't work with them. <laughs> I work with your, I work with your son or daughter who still lives in your basement. You know, like I, I work with those ones, the 20 somethings. And I wasn't expecting the loneliness of like not being able to sit down with other young adult pastors and just hash things out. What's working for you? What's not working for you? What's going on? And, and not to say that there's not other young adult pastors in the Maritimes, but I think for many of our churches, it becomes sort of um, a cherry on the top of someone else's role already. So many of times you'll see youth and young families and young adults, and it's like the young adults are going to be, you're not going to be thinking about them. Um, but it's, it was really hard. Like I wasn't expecting the loneliness, which is funny because my personality, I, I loved that idea of creating something new and having nobody to really say, well, we've done it this way before, you know, that wasn't a thing, but the loneliness was tough. I mean, that makes sense Mm. when you think about, you know, entrepreneurs or, uh, explorers or, you know, use, you use the word creative. Mm. There is that sense that as we break new territory or as we explore new, uh, you know, to us territory, that there becomes that sense of isolation and that. I'm thinking too about your new position because you're probably going to be there again. Oh yeah. Yeah. So have you got some thoughts on, or strategies that, that you developed the last time yeah. that might help you? So what, that was one of the great things that Pastor Jerry Reddy always did was for us, he really encouraged us to find mentors, to find other people. And sometimes there's people within our, our sort of our world here in the Maritimes. And sometimes it means reaching out to other spheres in North America, Europe, wherever you can. We live in such an age right now where we can do that. So yeah, there's a few churches that I want to reach out to just who have roles in that type of thing uh, of reaching in community and, you know, reaching out to maybe someone in like Southern Texas. It's just not, it's not apples to apples. It's good to sometimes listen to those to say, okay, what are you doing? And let me kind of process that. But you want to talk to people like even within the Canadian context, you know, because Canada is quite different than America. We don't have to go into the details on that, but learning to figure out like, okay, I need to find mentors. I need to find people I can connect with, but who also understand my current 
cultural moment, my current cultural setting. Thankfully, um, a lot of people on the Louisville staff team are already thinking these sorts of things of how we better do community. So it's not like I'm a lone wolf on, on the staff team. It's like, all right, you're the community guy. We don't have to worry about it. Um, thankfully, it's not a situation like that. We're all sort of on the same page with that. But there's some few people I've met over the years who I'm really going to want to connect with and, and also connect here in the Maritimes too. Adams, one of the questions that we have asked over the last season is the question around what are the most common conversations you're having with those that you've been uh, leading, shaping, molding? So this is really kind of neat. So to kind of go back a bit, when I was studying at Acadia, doing my master's, I remember sitting around classroom tables with students and we loved it. Just the conversation and the, and the things we were learning all about, you know, biblical literacy and biblical criticism and understanding the different aspects of the Bible and, and almost becoming a cultural critic of where the Bible came from. And, and what does that look like to apply into our current cultural day? And how does that sort of work? But then we would have these conversations and then we'd kind of like lean back and go, we're never going to talk about this with a congregation. You know, it, it was just like there was never, we just kind of thought, they're just not going to be interested. Well, five years in to working in local church ministry, I realized I was very, very wrong. Um, and I'm really seeing it from a younger generation. Not to say that the older generations aren't interested in that, but I was shocked in a good way, in a positive way, of how much young people who were either becoming Christians later in life or grew up in the church and kind of stepped away and then have kind of come back, who that was their thing. They're like, I want to understand the Bible more. I read these things and I don't understand. And what does this mean? And all of a sudden I thought, oh my goodness, all the things I thought I was never going to get to talk about and why I thought that I have no idea. It was maybe just a weird seed of doubt in my head. But man, yeah, cultural understanding of biblical text, literary criticism of understanding what the Bible is, what it's not, um, has been really, really fascinating for me to see. You know, I've, I've shown very deep academic teachings to young adults who have never been exposed to that before. One of them was a three-hour seminar on the origins of how the Bible came to be, and I thought, I am going to get fired for this because <laughs> they're just going to it's going to bore them to death. Three hours long, what 20-year-old is going to want to listen to that whole thing? And then when I sat down after, I just thought to myself, I should just ask this question for fun. I go, how, how long do you think that seminar was? And one guy goes, oh, I don't know, 30 minutes? Because they were in, you know, they were leaning in and they were like, this is so fascinating to me. And I think we as church leaders, sometimes we forget that, you know, we can think, ah, oh, they just, they don't want, they don't want to go to that next level. In my experience from, from working with young adults here in the city, it's not true. They really, really want to go there. But also understanding of our current day, too. I think sometimes we can get so fixated on understanding biblical context that we forget how to actually interact in our current cultural mode. I find that's uh, fascinating and very consistent with what I, I'm seeing, too, in, in society more generally. But in terms of the church's kind of prophetic role, like so understanding the political issues, the, you know, the many issues that people in our society are wrestling with, 
um, in various ways. How do you see the church speaking into those um, more political issues in ways that are meaningful and consistent with scriptural understanding of, of our opportunity to provide leadership? So I just was recently reading um, someone who says that for the church to choose not to engage in this time is leaving people to get their information from other sources, from pundits, from talk show hosts, you know, whatnot. And uh, this guy actually described that as as spiritual malpractice. Fascinating. I can see that. I can understand that. Yeah, because I think there's validity to that idea of being silent and that not benefiting. I find it fascinating because I've always been, you know, involved in public witness and and social action kind mm. of things. And you know, as as Christians, can we speak into that unsettled is is the unsettledness an opportunity for us to to sh- kind of show up with uh, fresh insights. I definitely think there is. I, I would wonder too if it's a being careful with our language and the way we actually present and communicate. So I think there's a big difference between telling someone this is wrong to telling someone there's another way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think too, one of the challenges today, because um, in culturally we're so polarized, speaking into that, not in the characteristic there's two views as you're on one side or you're on the other side, but introducing the, the messy middle where we actually listen to a variety of perspectives and seek wisdom um, in, in the midst of all that messiness, I would argue. Maybe we've, we've negated some of our prophetic opportunity. The other thing that I was wondering about too, though, Adams, was I love the fact that you were able to go deep with that group of, of young adults in understanding some of the, the cultural understanding of scripture, because I think in our day where everybody is rewriting history to make themselves feel better about themselves, a lot of understanding is is lost. And so when you have people who are using scripture against one another, that really has the ability to erode trust in what we understand to be God's word. And people don't have an efficacy or belief that God's word is true and that will has power or authority in our lives to help recapture that we will more and more need to kind of uh, need to lay out a cultural understanding of what Jesus was speaking into and that this is the people who you know he was addressing were living under the tyrannical rule of a roman government and that that changes the difference between me sending you an email yeah today yeah. But what is the takeaway and the carryover from that? And so I think that's really powerful mm. uh, to be able to kind of say that is an unexpected but a deeply appreciated and key oh, yeah. piece to, to moving forward with the next generation. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Adams, one of the questions that uh, I've appreciated out of the last season with just some of the wisdom that came out of it. If you had a conversation with someone who was just coming out of high school, maybe entering into university, and they came to you and they said, I think God's calling me into ministry, vocational ministry, what would be the advice that you might give them? Yeah, I mean, I would want to have a conversation with what they really feel that that calling is looking like 
Calling for me has always been a fascinating point of conversation because I remember that as a, as a young kid going to things like Title Impact and going to things like Spring Forth, which were very influential, very positive. But I remember that narrative of, you know, maybe God's calling you, maybe God's calling you. And for me, I was like, okay, well, are we talking a Saul to Paul thing here? Because I haven't experienced that. But I have experienced an inward desire going, yeah, I think I think something like this could work. And, and I don't know if I, I haven't had that Saul to Paul moment, but like, I think maybe. And so I'd want to have that conversation with that young person first. Where are you? Are we are like, is this a Saul to Paul thing? Cause if so, tell me about it. Um, if this is an inward thing that you're sort of like, I'm, I think it's a thing, but I'm not sure. I'm like, let's really chat about that. Cause I think it, I think it could be a thing. And I would encourage and just say, you know, you are going to be blown away by the possibilities that are going to be out there. Because like I said earlier, when I was young, I would have thought the only option was youth pastor. And it's not to put a bad hat on the youth pastors. We need youth pastors. We need awesome youth pastors um, who can work with families, work with the young generations. But I thought that was my only option. If you would have told me when I was 18, like, hey, you can be a communications director and a young adults pastor and then eventually a pastor of community, I wouldn't have thought that was even a thing. And I'd say, dig into it. Speak to those around you. That is one of the biggest things for me is like talk to that, you know, that surround yourself with that wise counsel. And you may not know who those people are right away in your life, but they'll come. And uh, if you don't think you have them, pray, pray to God, be like, surround me with wise counsel. And uh, you may be shocked at who starts to speak into your life and voices that you may would have never thought that God could be speaking. Adams, thank you so much. We so appreciate you. Uh, taking time to sit down with us and have this conversation. Uh, We want to wish you all the best uh, in your new ministry that God's invited you to as you open and step through the door uh, into leading Louisville into community. We pray that uh, God will do great things. And so to you, our listener, we want to thank you for taking time to uh, download uh, the podcast or listening online. For Lois and I, thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Unexpected Leader podcast from the Canadian Baptist of Atlantic Canada. We're a family of over 450 churches and organizations joined together with the mission of joining God in our neighborhoods. We're praying this will be an encouraging, stimulating resource for you wherever you're at on your own journey. You might also be considering whether God is unexpectedly calling you as a leader. And if that is you, we invite you to head over to www.yourcalling.ca and check out the content we've created just for you. Again, that website address is www.yourcalling.ca.